Welcome back to iTalk, presented by Brookside Optometric Group. I'm Brent Critchfield. In each iTalk episode, we do our best to educate you on some aspect of taking care of your eyes, whether that's choosing the best glasses or contact lenses for your lifestyle, or steps you can take to protect your vision. In this episode, Dr. Bob Melrose is going to share some tips from his nearly 20 years of experience with LASIK vision correction. If you've ever considered having this procedure done, this information is going to be really helpful. Then we'll talk with Johnny Bauer from the Stockton Community Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired. The center is an organization that is near and dear to our hearts, and we've had a close relationship with them over the years. But first, let's hear what's new in the world of optometry. Hi, this is Dr. Bob Melrose. I'm here to talk about some changes that are happening in the world of eye health and eye care and whatnot. One of the more interesting articles I bumped into is that the diabetic medication metformin may actually be a good type of medication to help against some forms of retinal degeneration. There is a layer in the retina called the RPE. There's a long word that goes after each one of those letters that is no reason to repeat here for general consumption. But the RPE, when it starts to degrade, uh, causes a uh, loss in retinal function, a loss in vision. And they're discovering with the uh, drug Medfortman that we're getting some restoration of that tissue and it's becoming more active and is healing itself with the use of this medication. So here we have something that has been uh, used to treat people with uh, diabetic conditions that may, one of these days, are doing some studies still with it to uh, be prescribed for people if they're starting to have uh, retinal dysfunction. So... When you hear about uh, medications being uh, created, hear about medications being researched and whatnot, you never really know where that research is going to go. And in this case, something that was strictly used for diabetics may have general use to the general population down the road. Dr. Bob Melrose has over 20 years of experience with LASIK vision correction, including several years managing the Refractive Surgery Center at UC Berkeley. Today, Dr. Melrose is going to share some of the things that you need to know before considering LASIK. Think of this as a free consultation to find out if it would be a good fit for you. Today, instead of interviewing one of my partners about some of the aspects of eye care, I'm going to be discussing the area of LASIK eye surgery for those of you who are considering doing it. LASIK eye surgery has now been around for about 25 years. It's extremely safe. It's extremely effective. But there's things you need to make sure that you uh, look into before you would ever make the choice to have the LASIK surgery. In order to do LASIK surgery, you need to have a stable prescription. You don't want to be shooting a moving target. You want to make sure that it's a one and done so that people will have the prescription etched on their eyes and be done with it for the rest of their lives. So stable prescription is crucial. Now, there's also three aspects of the cornea you have to have to make sure that it's safe for you. When we do this surgery, we change the shape of the front of the eye, the cornea, the front lens of the eye, by flattening it if you're nearsighted. And we thin the cornea down to do that, and we flatten the cornea to do that. Now, with all things, there's safe amounts to do things, and there's unsafe amounts to do things. You need to have a thick enough cornea for your prescription to be able to do this correction safely. If you do a LASIK surgery on somebody with too thin of a cornea, you can create the situation where they may be needing a corneal transplant within five years. So again, thickness is crucial. You also flatten the cornea. 
Now, there's a safe amount to flatten it and an unsafe amount to flatten it. If you flatten the cornea too much, you'll create a situation where the patient will have horribly distorted vision for the rest of their lives. So again, you want to make sure that you have enough corneal curvature to be able to do the procedure properly. Final thing on the safety issue is you need to make sure there's no corneal malformations that would make it impossible to do the surgery. Now, those malformations normally occur when the inner surface of the cornea is not uh, structurally as sound as the rest of the cornea, and it causes the inner surface of the cornea to bulge forward and create pockets of instability if you had the, the prescription etched on your eye. In order to, to uh, make sure this doesn't happen, you do need to be examined with something called a pentacam, which gives an excellent readout of whether or not this is safe or not. Of course, uh, Brookside Optometric Group has a pentacam. We're one of the few offices that do have it. Most of these devices are uh, strictly used in the laser centers, but we felt that we didn't want to have our patients go to all the trouble of taking time off, planning a surgery, going to a laser center, getting ready to do it, and then be told they weren't candidates. So for us, it was important to have the technology in-house, which is why we own one. So those are the, the safety issues that are necessary. Now, in looking at someone to do LASIK surgery for you, I strongly recommend that you go to someone that pretty much specializes in it. A lot of doctors do it uh, as on a side level, uh, four, five, six a month, something like that. And in my opinion, you want to do it, work with somebody that does it all the time. This surgery is not strictly done by the laser. It is There is a surgical technique and skill to it to get the outcomes that you want. And there's also a familiarity with your laser you have to have to know exactly what you're going to get for the outcome. So again, looking for a specialist who pretty much only does this, or this is the main bulk of what their uh, practice is geared for, in my opinion, is also crucial. The other thing I would say is you need to talk to people that you can trust. Sadly, there's a lot of optometrists out there that won't discuss LASIK surgery with their patients because they basically want to keep them in glasses and contacts. They, uh, they make their living that way, and they want to make sure that you continue to help them make their living. Equally sad is that there's some surgeons out there that uh, think anyone with enough money in the bank to pay for the surgery is a perfect candidate for the surgery, and they're very reluctant to say no to someone to have it done. And there are also some people out there that are just absolute uh, frauds in this. I helped run the laser refractive surgery at UC Berkeley for about four years, and one of the patients that I was examining down there came in. She had about 11 units of nearsightedness, which is a fair amount, and it is possible to do with LASIK surgery. But I told her we'd run around the Pentacam that we had at UC Berkeley in order to make sure that it was safe for her. And if there was anything I saw that was unsafe, I would tell her not to do it. I ran around the Pentacam, and of the three factors that you need to have to do the surgery safely, a stable internal structure of the cornea, thickness, and the correct curvature, she only had two of the three. So I brought her back to the exam room and I told her, I made you a promise if I saw anything that would put you at risk, I would tell you not to do this and you can't do this. I told her the exact same things I've already mentioned on this, vid on this uh, recording, that if you did this procedure, at best you'd have horribly distorted vision for the rest of your life and at worst you'd need a corneal transplant within five years. She smiled at me and said, I didn't tell you something. But just yesterday, I saw someone else out here in the Bay Area that not only said was a, that I was a perfect candidate for the surgery, but if I did it on Friday, they'd give me a discount. I simply smiled at her and said, well, one of us is lying. And she knew which one it was. And she was smart not to have the surgery done. Go to people, do your homework. 
Go to people you trust. Go to people with a good reputation. Go to people you feel you can talk to. Go to people that are not going to pressure you. There is no such thing as an emergency LASIK surgery. This is not something you have to decide on ever that day. And uh, uh, it's not something that you ever feel like you were talked into. The final things I'll mention about LASIK surgery, and before I let you go, is that there are some misconceptions out there. One of the biggest misconceptions is if you have astigmatism, you can't do LASIK. That's uh, patently untrue. So if anyone tells you that, find someone else to work with. People also tell you if you're farsighted. You can't have it done. And again, that's untrue. Finally, people will say that you'll have to wear reading glasses afterwards. There are techniques you can do that will allow you to wear reading glasses afterwards, but you need to be screened very carefully and do trial contact lenses to see if that type of correction would make you happy or not. But the blanket statement that if you need reading glasses, you will not be able to do anything to help you with the reading vision is not true. I had my surgery in 1996, and I have had... Only now, at the age of 65, the need for reading glasses on the computers and long-term reading uh, has crept up in the last uh, year or so, but I can still work an entire day at my office without putting a pair of reading glasses on at all. So these things, again, are possible. The basic thing I want to say about LASIK is, in the right hands, it's nothing to be afraid of. In the wrong hands, you're making a horrible mistake. So get a good workup. Find out if it's safe for you. Make sure you trust the people that are doing it. Make sure that you feel comfortable who you're working with. And make sure that no one ever tries to force you into making a decision to do this, especially on the first day of the uh, procedure, of uh, the workup. If you want to do it, you know you want to do it, that's fine. But if you ever sense that someone's trying to twist your arm, I strongly recommend you find somebody else to work with. The Stockton Community Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired is an organization that Brookside Optometric has had a close relationship with for many years, and we do everything we can to support their mission. Today we're talking with Johnny Bauer, director of the center, to learn more about their mission and how they benefit the visually impaired in our community. Dr. Melrose again with iTalk for Brookside Optometric Group. Today, I'm speaking with a good friend of mine, Joni Bauer, from the Community Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired. That's a long mouthful, I know. And she is going to be talking a little bit about what the center does for the community in Stockton who do have visual impairments and have issues. And uh, Joni, tell us all about the center. Well, thank you, Dr. Bob. It's a pleasure to be here today. Uh, Community Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired serves San Joaquin County, all 1,500 square miles in its entirety. Um, We are a full-service rehabilitative organization, and we serve folks with low vision uh, to total blindness. The agency was founded by Myrtle Stevens Clark in 1949. Mrs. Clark was a welfare worker for the blind for San Joaquin County back in the day. Um, And she discovered that people who were blind really had no place to go. Uh, A lot of folks at the time lived in, in group homes, boarding houses, or sadly were institutionalized. 
So she uh, decided that these folks needed a place to call their own, and she enlisted the assistance of a variety of organizations, the Rotary, the Kiwanis, the Lions, Lambda Theta Phi, um, the Kiwanis, the list is endless. And uh, all the, all the uh, organizations came together and found a place uh, for folks to, to meet. Um, and we very quickly outgrew the first location and moved to a larger location. And uh, after that, moved again several years later. And in the early 60s, uh, the center received a bequest uh, to build a building uh, conducive to recreation and rehabilitation. The building was built. The Community Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired took occupancy. I believe it was January 1966, and it was a, let me think, I think a 6,000 square foot building. I remember the building. That's when I got yeah. involved uh, with the Blind Center. I, uh, Rosie and I came to Stockton in 82, and very shortly after that, we got involved with some board work and things like that. Yes, you did. Yes, yeah. you did. And just as a side note, I've been there 45 years. I was... <laughs> I was uh, I was two when I started. I was exactly. a child exactly. prodigy, child prodigy, uh, and then um, you know we we evolved actually and became more focused on on rehabilitation uh, and and helping folks who were either born blind, congenitally blind, or adventitiously blinded, which means they lost their vision after the age of maybe five years old and helping them learn the skills to lead independent lives. Um, and then we moved about mm, six years ago, I think it's been, um, to Grand Canal Boulevard, more in, in Venetian, in the Venetian area, uh, because we felt that it was a little bit of a safer place to be. So that's currently where we are at 2453 Grand Canal Boulevard, Suite 5. So we do serve everybody in San Joaquin County whose, whose vision loss impedes their ability to perform tasks of daily living. We have a great relationship with the Blind Field Services Division of the California Department of Rehabilitation, and so they provide referrals for many of our clients. Uh, we also partner with the local school districts to provide programs for youth and kids, and in fact, we have this summer coming up our, our week-long programs for kids 8 through 13 and our teens 14 through, I believe, 18. So those are up and coming. Uh, and I will throw in a plug for Dr. Bob's <laughs> Sunrise Rotary Club that that club has been particularly supportive of those programs for us for which we are immensely grateful. And we're happy to do it. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, the services we provide um, currently, well, since COVID in, in March of 2020, we were mandated to close our doors to the public. 
And so we continue to offer remote services. Uh, my coworkers, and I will, I will detail that a little bit in, in, in a few minutes, but my coworkers do a fabulous job, I think, of providing instruction remotely. The only service that we're currently providing in person is orientation and mobility, which essentially is teaching someone to use their remaining senses to familiarize themselves in space and then travel through the environment using a cane or some kind of non-optical or optical aid. Uh, let me right here address the question of, of dog guides that I know will come up. People who use dogs as a mobility tool um, go for training at a, an accredited dog guide school that does it especially that and and trains folks to use the dog matches the dog with with the, the individual and works with the team to provide services or to provide mobility instruction so that's a little bit a little bit different and only about i don't know maybe two percent of the the blind population uh uses uses dog guides as a mobility aid. So essentially here at Community Center for the Blind, we offer cane travel and, and instruction using optical and non-optical aids. Uh, we also work with folks on using their remaining or residual vision most effectively to be able to travel through the environment. And training goes all the way from getting around one's home to finding one's way to the mailbox all the way to using public transportation and i've worked with with clients in the past where their final exam has has been taking public transportation from their home all the way to Folsom or into San Francisco. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process, but it it is very 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 possible. That's going to be incredibly rewarding to see uh, someone go from possibly uh, uh, as bad as a shut-in type of uh, situation to being able to do something like that. It, it is. It, it, my job has had its moments, I will tell you. I, definitely, definitely. So that's orientation and, and mobility. We also offer daily living skills, which teaches folks the skills to function in the home. How do you put toothpaste on a toothbrush? How do you know that the dishes are clean? How do you load the dishwasher? Uh, just everything you can think of from getting up in the morning to going to bed at night. How do you, how do you set the temperature on the oven? How do you work with all the new digital gadgets that are out there? And I will, will say this, uh, there are so many gadgets for sighted people as well as people who are blind or visually impaired. And I think that's probably one of the most important things to stress is that it's okay to use gadgets. We all do. Oh, absolutely. Vision, vision notwithstanding. Um, so we, have, we do offer uh, independent living skills instruction as well. We offer Braille for those who are interested in improving their, their Braille literacy. And Braille, again, is, it's 
like learning a foreign language almost. Uh, it's a tactile means of reading and writing, and our Braille instructor teaches both. How do you read? How do you write? And all of the, the devices that go with reading and writing Braille. We offer assistive technology instruction, and our assistive technology instructors are par excellence. Uh, they are certified in job access with speech, um, with the non-visual desktop access, and which is a an open source screen reader. So actually, the the software will actually read what's on the screen to somebody who can't see the screen. Um, there are also screen magnification software programs, and we offer training in those. So it's a matter of of being our, our instructors assessing each individual, finding what they need, uh, finding what hardware and software might benefit them, and then working with them to obtain that that equipment, and then training them to use that equipment. Now, the, the new technologies have got to make a, a huge change in how you're, you're dealing with people. I know for myself, I had a patient in uh, not too long ago, about 92 years old, uh, 92 going on about 72, <laughs> and uh, had some damage to his retina, so uh, 2020 vision was uh, hard for him to be able to achieve, but he was upset because he always read his emails on his cell phone, and he had a hard time reading his paperbacks. When I couldn't improve the vision more than that, I went up to my desk and I brought back my iPad. Mm. I put on my Kindle app and I said, have you ever played one of these? He said, no. And I just showed him how you stick your fingers on that and you make it wider and the print gets larger. And he just smiled and said, I'm buying one of those today. <laughs> so yeah. it, again, but here was a device that uh, when I got out of school, prescription only, you'd have to go through headstands to get it, things like that. And now you can get one online. Absolutely. Absolutely, things are so much more accessible. Uh, and there are actually a lot of, of accessible uh, GPS apps that are available specifically for people who are blind. And uh, you know, they're, they're auditory programs and they make a tremendous difference for a lot of people. The other thing is the smartphones, believe it or not, can talk to people who are blind or visually impaired or even even for, for fully sighted folks. Um, Apple, I think, did a tremendous job in the very beginning of in, incorporating um, voiceover into the original plan. So the iPhone or i, I equipment, iPad, iPhone, the Macs, those have always been actually very accessible to people who are blind or visually impaired. And then Google got with the program and uh, so, so uh, I, I'm trying to remember the name of the the program. I want to say Talkback, mm -hmm. and I think that's it, Talkback. And uh, so that's the equivalent of Voiceover. Mm -hmm. So that makes smartphones very accessible, and it's more so the the app developers creating the apps to work well with the speech in the phones and making those things accessible to people who are blind. So that's, for all the developers out there, that's that's real, real, real important. And the explosion of audiobooks. Oh, so absolutely. Ab absolutely. And the, um, the Library of Congress, the U.S. Library of Congress, offers, offers uh, talking books 
uh, a free service and the California State Library, the Braille and Talking Book Library in Sacramento is the clearinghouse for us in San Joaquin County provides special equipment and then books in digital format that people just use like a, a lending library. Yeah. So the, the, the library will send books and people listen to them and flip over the little postal card in the, in the hard case to mail it back, give it to a, a, a post person or drop it in the mailbox or whatever and post office comes and picks it up and picks it up and returns it so that's a great service through actually through the federal government and then our local yeah well you know and the other thing and, and speaking of that there's there's a audio description on a lot of movies now so for folks who who have trouble or are unable to view the screen and and literally see the big picture uh, there's audio description mm -hmm. which is which is great and actually I I appreciate the audio description because very often if I'm watching a movie it's very hard for me to hear because I don't have the big the big screen and the stereo speakers and everything else but when the when the uh, when the uh, dialogue comes up on the bottom of the screen and I can, I can read it or, or, um, you know, I get the audio feedback and I can hear what's going on. It's, yeah. I don't, I don't miss quite as much. So that's, that's another thing that's available to folks. Well, I have a lot of female patients that have bought the book. I think it's called Green Light by Matthew McConaughey. They just want to listen to him read it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that, that's, uh, yeah. And well I just, done. and I just recently, I do a lot of, a lot of walking and I just recently thought to myself, you know, why didn't, why what's taken me so long to download audiobooks and then I can just walk and, and listen to listen to books as I walk so that's that's my new thing too um, so yeah tech, and technology changes on a daily basis which is critical to remember important for people to remember I mean we have talking talking uh, meat thermometers and Alexis or Alexa uh, and Siri and just everything. It's just, yeah, it's, the world is a lot more accessible than it used to be, but there's still a lot of work to be done. There's still a lot of work to be done. One event that I want to plug with you guys that I know had to be closed down because of COVID, but we did it uh, the first couple of years that it was going on was the Dining in the Dark event where you pay your money to go to a dinner, and the only thing that's unusual about it is you get to wear a mask where you can't see and you eat your dinner without vision. And that was a very eye-opening experience. Bad pun, I know. <laughs> but a uh, very interesting experience. What I found fascinating the first time we went was one of our guests uh, was there, and most of the servers are uh, visually impaired that are helping out. And so one of my guests said, I'm just taking this off. This is just getting to be a, too much of a bother. And the server just said, yep, I sure wish I had that option. And it just really made me realize Everyone, just be appreciative. If you have, if, if your body's working right, whether it be your, your vision or your ears or your knees, or whatever it happens to be, just be appreciative. Yeah, and, and that's very, very, very typical uh, for people to, to don a, a blindfold and be able to deal with it for about 30 seconds and then want to take it off. And it's, 
point being, just remember people who have vision impairments can't do that. They just can't take off the blindfold. Now, now proudly, so our table on the, la- the second time we went, I think then I had to shut it down for a bit, but uh, finally I peeked underneath my mask and I realized that everybody at our table were the last ones that lifted up yet. I go, guys, no one else is doing this anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we stuck it out. Yay! I applaud you for that. I applaud you for that. So what else do we know about the blind side? So uh, we've gotten through assistive technology, braille, daily living skills, um, orientation and mobility. Uh, We also offer peer support groups and educational workshops and these are all remote now the advantage of being remote is because we do serve all of san joaquin county uh, sometimes it's it's very challenging to get from point a to point b Um, even public transit can get a little pricey with some of the services offered at at this time Uh, to use a fixed route service can take an inordinate amount of time and that only works for for the most part from the cities within the counties but in the outlying areas that's a real challenge Um, the remote service allows us to really expand I mean now we have people calling in from Sacramento from Los Angeles believe it or not yeah so it's it's much much broader Um, certainly Calaveras County Amador County so it's it's enabled us to serve even more folks maybe not direct service necessarily but remotely it's it's been it's been a big i think a big advantage for a lot of folks who live outside of outside of the area so we've been able we've been able to do that Uh, and then every summer we have a week where we provide a a day camp experience for kids um, 8 to 13 and then for teens 14 through 18 and uh, that's a great experience because the kids we haven't been able we've done it remotely the last couple of years um, and I think this year we're going to try to do the live option but again that's going to depend upon so many mandates and regulations and and the CDC and the state of California and and I could go on and on so we just take we just take that each day, yep. and, and and we'll see how that pans out. But Everyone's had to be nimble. Exactly, yep. exactly. Flexibility is the key. Uh, again, we so we offer the peer support group. We offer educational workshops twice a month, um, where our one of our assistive technology instructors is a facilitator. Uh, he does workshops on common eye diseases. On he himself is is visually impaired, so he talks about traveling safely, um, just a variety of topics. And again, people from everywhere can call in, so it allows us to reach a greater audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, You did. You absolutely did. Yes, you did. A lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, where can they find you? We're easy to find. The number is 209-466-3836 or an email to info, I-N-F-O, at communitycenterfortheblind.org, O-R-G. 
Nice. So we're very easy to find. Uh, unfortunately, it's a little bit of a challenge uh, for people to show up, but our physical address is 2453 Grand Canal Boulevard, Suite 5, Stockton, California. Nice. And I assume on your website, there's probably some button somewhere that says donate there is Isn't thank you dr nice? bob thank you our website is www.communitycenterfortheblind.org and if you look up at the top on the menu bar there there certainly is a a a place to click donate and it will also provide an overview of services our monthly client activities calendar is posted on there. All of our contact information, our staff and, and everyone's credentials, um, ways to contact us. And so if you or someone you know has any difficulty performing tasks of daily living, please give us a call. Let me just briefly talk a little bit about, if you'll indulge me, Dr. Bob, about our Older Individuals Who Are Blind program, OIB. Um, Community Center for the Blind has been very fortunate the last mm, eight years, I think it's been, to receive funding from the State uh, Department of Rehabilitation to receive funds to serve people 55 and older who are, who are visually impaired. Um, so we receive grant funds to provide services uh, and actually to provide, I, I just call it stuff, <laughs> but things that, that make life easier for folks, whether it's an Alexa, whether it's a talking meat thermometer, whether it's a pair of glare filters, um, a very high-powered flashlight to be able to provide extra light for people to navigate the environment or even to see things, um, what we call bump dots, which are raised, they're little rubber raised dots that stick onto things so people can use them as tactile markings to mark washing machines, to mark microwave ovens, just a, a myriad of things. Um, so there are just all sorts of things, even canes, just all sorts of things that are that are available f for at no cost to the client. Uh, as far as as folks younger than 55 who want to pursue higher education or have a vocational goal, we refer those folks to the Blind Field Services Division of the Department of Rehabilitation. So we work together, we're a team, to hopefully uh, create the best possible outcomes for those folks. And for those folks who are younger than 55 who do not plan to seek employment or higher education, then we rely on the, the graciousness of the service clubs and organizations like the, the uh, Stockton Sunrise Rotary and, and the Lions Clubs and, and other organizations, Lambda Theta Phi, to, uh, to uh, provide grants to help serve those people. So the bottom line is there is no charge to the clients for services. That's, yeah, that's one thing we've never done and we have no intention of doing. Well, that's why uh, one of the reasons we do these podcasts is that uh, several years ago we got a little 
frustrated with people not realizing all the, the gems and wonderful things and, and people and organizations in our community. And uh, your organization is, is top notch. And Thank I'm, you. And I know that not every community is blessed to have something like this. Thank you. So we, the, the people of Stockton and the surrounding communities do thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Bob. And so again, if you need to find us, our number is 209-466-3836. And uh, someone will will return your call. If, if no one's available to take your call immediately, someone will return your call as soon as possible. Good. And that button is spelled D-O-N-A-T-E. Okay, very good. <laughs> thank you. Shoney, thank you for coming today. This is always, it's always a pleasure to see you. Thank and you, same here. February is Low Vision Month. I forgot to mention that in the beginning of the, the podcast here. And so it's rather timely that we're doing this. But uh, again, uh, our community is, the, the members of our community who are dealing with the challenges of uh, sight impairment, Thank you, I'm sure, from the bottom of their hearts. Well, thank you so very much, Dr. Bob. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. All right. That's it for this episode of iTalk. We'll be back with another episode soon. But in the meantime, we'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Or you can find it on our website at brooksideoptometric.com. We'd also invite you to visit us on Facebook or Instagram where you can stay up to date on everything that's happening in the office, as well as eye care tips and information. Thanks for joining us. And on behalf of all of us at Brookside Optometric Group, we hope you can see well, be well, and thrive.